right, Father God, thank you. Thank you that we have this opportunity to come together tonight. Thank you, Lord, for each person who's here who's made the decision to give you their time this evening so that they can come to know you more. Thank you, Father. We just ask that you would put your words in my mouth, that you would be heard, and that our minds would be renewed and our lives transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, Pastor Dave um, spoke quite a bit about, in his lesson about knowing God, coming to know him um, deeper and more intimately. And so that's really what gave me the motivation to go in that direction tonight. And then when you spoke last night at Women of Life, Judy, um, you talked about three main reasons why See, I should have waited till my normal time. <laughs> okay. Um, you talked about the three major reasons why individuals who come to know God as their Savior eventually might walk away and become disinterested. And one of those ways was not getting into the Word. And the Word is God. And so to me, that's, you know, not knowing Him, not coming to know Him, not taking the initiative and having the desire to get to know him for themselves. So I felt like that um, just gave me a greater desire to speak on that topic tonight. Um, so to begin with, you know, knowing God, building that relationship with him, the Bible says that that is eternal life. Mo the majority of people on this earth believe eternal life is going to heaven when you die. That's part. That is, I mean, that is an element of the eternal life that we receive through Jesus Christ. But the Bible says that eternal life is knowing God. It's a pretty amazing, not even pretty, it is amazing that we get to know him. I mean, think about the most powerful man in America would be our president. And, you know, he's kind of like the God of our country to a point because he, you know, decides what direction we're going and, and so forth. But none of us get to know him, right? I mean, only a very small handful of our population will actually get to know him. And an even smaller handful will get to know him intimately. Basically his family and probably a few close friends. But we have the God of the universe, the maker of all things. He holds the universe in his hands. He literally has all power. We get to know him one-on-one, -on -one, intimately, what his inmost thoughts are, his feelings toward us. And then he gets to know the same thing about us and he cares about it and he wants to know it. That's amazing. So what a privilege it is that we can know him, and not just as a savior. That's like the preliminary level, but we can know him in every respect. And the Bible says that it is eternal life. And that's it's in John chapter 17, verse three. John 17, verse three. And it says, and this is eternal life. So it's very clear. And this is Jesus, it's red letters, so he's saying it. That they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is eternal life. That, that we may know him, the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That is eternal life. And he is not saying, he, or he does not say that they might know about you. 
It's that they might know you. I mean, we know about our president. We know about his beliefs. We know about his family. We don't know him. God says eternal life is to know him, to know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Knowing God is the beginning point of all else. As I've already said, we first knew him as our savior. So our beginning point in our walk with God, in our Christianity, in our relationship with the Father, we knew him as our savior. We, we, we realized that we needed to be saved and that God had sent his son and had, and, and had become our savior through his son. That was the first thing we knew. We knew him as our savior. But we don't want to stop there. That's the elemental level of our relationship with him. The depth of your obedience, the degree of your success, the fullness of the blessing in your life, it all depends on how well you know him. I want to read that one more time. The depth of your obedience, so how deep you go, the degree of your success, how high you rise, the fullness of the blessing in your life, it all depends on how well you know him. Because it all comes out of that, and that's what we're going to um, talk about tonight. It all depends on how well you know him. So there are many causes and effects in life. You know, a cause leads to an effect. I think we do lessons like that in school, you know. For example, if I brush my teeth, my teeth will be healthy. Um, if I, Charlotte, if you take a nap this afternoon, you will not be crazy at seven o'clock. Yeah. Maybe. maybe. Well, maybe on the nap, really. But there's so many causes and effects. I mean, like right now I'm like, why can't you think of good causes and effects? Because you think there's a thousand and one every single day. But our life is all about cause and effect. I'm going to do this, it will lead to this, that will lead to this, that will lead to this, that will lead to this. Well, there's a cause and effect when it comes to our relationship with God. And that is, because I know God, that's the initial cause. Because I know God, I trust God. Because I trust God, I obey God. And because I obey God, I am blessed. And that's not a works thing. I'm not talking about a works there. When I, when I refer to the term blessed, I mean a destiny fulfilled, success, satisfaction, and significance. So because I know him, I trust him because I trust him I obey him and because I obey him I am blessed my destiny will be fulfilled I will be satisfied in life I will make a difference so that's your cause and effect so number one because I know God I trust him so let's look at Psalm chapter 9 verse 10 Psalm 9:10 And it says, "And they who know your name." And amplified says, "Who have experience and acquaintance with your mercy will lean on and confidently put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you." So when they who know your name, they will lean on and confidently put their trust in you. It's very practical. You trust people you know. If you don't know someone, you're not going to put your trust in them. 
or if you only know someone on particular levels, you're only going to trust them in those particular levels. That's just practical. The Bible agrees with it. That's how it works. When we, the more we come to know him in every element of who he is, that trust will develop in all those different elements. That's how we will come to trust him. So if you know God as your provider, you will trust that he will provide for you. If you know God as your healer, you will trust that he will heal you. If you know God as your justifier, you will trust that you are justified. There's no sin standing in your way. If you know God as your vindicator, you will trust that you will be vindicated. You don't have to vindicate yourself. He's your vindicator. On the same bent, if you don't know him in those areas, you will not trust that. That's natural. You can't even force yourself to. You have to know someone. You have to know God in an area in order for you to trust him in that area. And then I feel like this is a, this is a big one. This came to me as I was studying. If you know God as your loving father, you will trust him with your life. And that's a big one. Sometimes we can be really focused on knowing him as, as the healer or knowing him as the provider, which is really important, or knowing him as maybe the vindicator, some of those areas. We sometimes maybe don't focus as much as just knowing him as a loving father. But if you know him as that, you'll trust him with your life. Just think about your kids, especially when they're little. I mean, you're their mom or you're their dad. They trust you with their lives when they know that you love them. I mean, there's no fear, no worry, no concern. That's the way God wants us to know him. And I just have to bring up this scripture again in regard to that because it's one of my favorites. But he says, Jesus says, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's your loving Father. It's his good pleasure to give you it all. You can trust him. When it comes to trust, you can gauge the level of your trusting relationship, so of course you're, you're the, the level you know him, same thing, with your father by this. When you mess up, do you run to him or do you run away from him? Do you hide from him? I talked about this in a woman of life a few months ago. Do you run to him? Like, oh my gosh, God, this is what happened and I can't believe it happened and please, I don't want to do that again. Or do you hide from him? Does it like take you weeks to get back in the word or days to go and have, you know, talk to him again? It isn't, and if you're on that side of the hiding, that doesn't mean you don't know him at all or that you're not saved or something. That's just how you can gauge the level of your knowledge and relationship with him. Do you run to him or do you hide from him? He wants you to run to him. I always find it interesting that when Charlotte does something wrong, like goes and gets the scissors and cuts something without, <laughs> Paula has a hilarious story about that if you ever want to ask her. <laughs> she like will then later come out and say, Mommy, I use the scissors. <laughs> that happens all the time. And so then I correct her because she needs to know it's wrong. But she isn't hiding from me. <laughs> She's running to me, basically, you know. She knows she did wrong. Her conscience is telling her you shouldn't have done that, and so she wants to go tell her mom. That's how God wants us to be. Don't run, run to. And um, in line with that also, if you go to Psalm 139, And read verses 1 through 4 on Psalm 139. It says, O Lord, you have searched me thoroughly and have known me. 
You know my down sitting and my uprising. You understand my thought afar off. You sift and search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue still unuttered, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. When you read that, and like Pastor Dave says, this is a rhetorical question I don't want you to answer. But when you read that, does that make you go, Phew, I'm so glad. I'm so glad he knows it all. He knows my every thought. He knows my every word. He knows my every action. Do you feel that way? Or do you feel scared about that? Like, mm, he knows everything. That's, that's how you can gauge. And if you were on the scared side, just be encouraged. You'll, you know what to do. Get to know him. Because he doesn't want you scared. He wants you to go, oh, I am so glad he knows everything. Because then he can help me. So knowing God, the effect of that is you, you'll trust him. You'll trust him with who you are. Um, let's read one more scripture, Hebrews 4. Fourteen through sixteen. Oh, I thought it was there. There we go. Hebrews four fourteen through sixteen. Inasmuch then as we have a great high priest who has already ascended and passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession of faith in him. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to understand and sympathize and have a shared feeling with our weaknesses and infirmities, but one who has been tempted in every respect as we are, as we are yet without sinning. Let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy for our failures, and find grace to help in good time for every need, appropriate help and well-timed help coming just when we need it. That's the relationship that God wants with us is that we just, we're boldly coming into that throne room. I gotta talk. I either messed up and I need your mercy or I need your help or maybe I just even wanna talk to you. Just wanna have a conversation. But that's, that's the relationship he wants with us is that we just boldly come in come right in I think of the story of Esther where um, you know back when Israel was you know being ruled by I don't know who but King Xerxes was the king he was a you know a heathen king and she wanted she needed to save her people and if she just went into the throne room unannounced he could have put her to death. So she, she really could not fearlessly and confidently and boldly go in there based on that. So she was hoping and she was trusting in God that he would put out his scepter and that would mean that she was welcome to come in. Well, we don't have that with our God. His throne room is open. You talked about um, Titus maybe sitting on Jesus' lap. I mean, literally in heaven, I do not, I mean, there's going, he's going to be really revered and honored. I'm not, I'm not diminishing the amazingness and wonderfulness of our God, but I know we're in there. Amen. We're walking in, kids are running around in there. Yep. It's not a scary place, because that's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says he is saying, come on in. So. All right, so number two. If you trust God then, now that you've come to know him, you're trusting him, you will obey him. That obedience will come out of that trust. Let's go to Psalm chapter 18, verse 30, just the first part of that verse. This is like my favorite scripture. I mean, I have a few, but I really like this one a lot. And it's short and anyone can memorize it. 
1830a, just the very first sentence there. It says, as for God, his way is perfect. Can you get better than perfect? No. You can't. There's no, nothing higher, no greater idea, no more satisfaction. As for God, his way is perfect. When you know that and you trust it, you know it's true, where is the fight when obedience comes? Because if he says, do it, it's perfect. If he says, this is the way it's going to happen, or this is the way I want you to handle this, it's perfect. As for God, his way is perfect. You know, I was thinking about um, when I really came to know my father. I mean, we, we, we continue to know him each day. But when that really began for me was when I was in high school. And some of the ways that I came to know him during that time in my life, um, the very first time I really studied the word for myself outside of maybe a memory verse, you know, and what I was hearing growing up, was when Pastor Dave on a Sunday morning challenged or encouraged the congregation to read the book of Ephesians. Uh, it might have been every day or maybe every week for a period of time. And so I was like, I could do that. And so I, that was like really the first time I started to study the word for myself. And so I read the book of Ephesians. I think I read it weekly. So I don't know if that's what he said or not. But so I read through that six chapter book, you know, over and over for a period of time. And then that kind of took off into reading the word for myself. And also I would um, take notes for the first time during services. I can like, I'm a visual person, so I can like see my first notebook. I can like see my handwriting in it and my notes, because I still have it. But I started taking notes during services and then at home I would like reread my notes and relook up the scriptures. And then also, I did a lot of praying in tongues. I had been baptized in the Holy Spirit since I was four, and so I had prayed in tongues since that very, very young age. Um, but in high school, I, I began to do that a lot because I was really seeking God about what his plan for my life was after I finished high school. And so I knew that that was the way to find out. So I prayed in tongues a lot. So that's kind of the activities I I, I did in high school it, that really began that relationship with God for myself. And I also remember my senior year, and this had to just been a, a motivation from God because I did not orchestrate it or plan it or even think that I was going to do it and say, I'm going to do this, none of that. But my senior year of high school, every time I got in my car, like after school or in between sports or during open campus time or whatever, every time I got in my car, I talked to God. It was like I stepped in my car and it was like, time to talk. And I, I just talked about things, like maybe what was happening that day or a sporting event later that day or who knows what or whatever. But I just like talked to him every time I got in my car. It was like this holy place of talking to God that whole year. And, you know, knowing where I went now, you know, looking back, oh my goodness, that was so key to going out at age 18 onto the mission field all by myself. I mean, you don't do that unless you know God. And I don't say that to like say some kind of pride thing. I say you literally don't do that. And so I had to have that kind of relationship grow during that time if, I was going, if that was God's plan for my life. So I just find that so interesting. And after that year, I don't necessarily do that anymore. I mean, I do sometimes, of course, but it was like every time I got in my car, we just like, I just like opened my mouth and talked. It was just the time to talk to him. And so, of course, you know, as I was coming to know him and that trust was building, when he said to me, um, coming home from a track meet with headphones on, listening to Christian music my junior year, is when he told me, You're, I want you to go on the mission field. So that's when he told me that. And then, I don't remember exactly when, during a prayer time that following December is when he said to Africa. And so... Um, like I said, you don't do that unless you trust that his way is perfect. You just don't do that. It's not natural. Um, I find it interesting. I had talked about in my other thoughts, 
because I was so into sports that I would like to maybe go and become a high school teacher and coach sports. So that was my earthly idea of what maybe would be a good plan for me. And so that's what I would share sometimes, you know, with people. But then I would say, or I might go on the mission field. This was before I knew. And I remember when I knew that's what I was going to do. I told my friend, my very, probably my closest unsaved friend um, growing up. And I said to her, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a missionary after I graduate. And she said, I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> I was finding that kind of sweet, like. Like, I knew you were going to do that. So anyway, when I made that decision, you know, who knows how that was going to happen. And really, there's many supernatural stories I could tell you that got me to Ghana, which is where I was the first year right after high school and where I went to Bible school. But I wanted to just pull out one story um, of actually when I went to Kenya. So I went to Ghana for for a school year, and then I came back for a year and a half, and I just, once again, I didn't know what I was going to do, because I knew I was done in Ghana, and I had finished that Bible school, um, but I knew I wasn't done in Africa, but you don't go and search the want ads for a missionary job, <laughs> so, you know, you're like, whatever, I don't know what I'm doing, so I worked at the rec center, I lifeguarded at the pool in the summers, I um, did, did that, worked, you know, was very involved in, in church activities, and then that December of 2005 is when I um, went to Kenya. And um, of course, Jeff and Amy were the overseers of the project I, I worked for, so I knew them. But there wasn't anybody in Kenya that I knew. And the people they knew lived in Italy. They just had a connection. It was Patrick's mother who was in Kenya, so they didn't really know anybody there very well either. <laughs> so trust was required. Not trust in Jeff and Amy, trust in God. And I remember when I walked off the plane into Kenya, I had no idea who was picking me up. I did not know what the overseer of the school, the primary school I was going to be working at looked like. I thought she was going to be there, but she wasn't. And I, there was a sign that said, Omega Wise. And I went, okay, going with her, I guess. She was a young woman, probably like in her 30s. Came to find out she was like a friend, a, a child of, a, of the overseer's friend or whatever. She couldn't get there, so she just sent this person who lived in Nairobi to pick me up. So I went to her house, and she wanted to cook me some food, so she cooked me this fried egg that was so salty. <laughs> and she sat there and looked at me like this while I sat at the table. Like, you can eat that egg. <laughs> oh, no. I made you that egg. And I like, you know, was going to eat the egg. <laughs> Sucked down that egg. I'm staying the night here. Okay, I'm at this person's house. I don't know them at all, but you're going to stay the night here because the overseer can't get to Nairobi. Okay, so thank goodness that her brother lived with her too. He had a cell phone, and I spent like 100 bucks in two days making phone calls to America like, <laughs> I want to get to Karicha. I want to get out of here. I just, Nairobi isn't a nice place to stay. We never stay in Nairobi very long. We get out of there in a day. It's just really unsafe and dirty and loud and like it never seriously sleeps. It's just like constant car honking and air brakes and it's just like loud all the time. And so, you know, I was there for like two days. I'm going on my third day and I have no idea when I'm getting and I remember I called my mom and I am like, I got to get out of here. I can't unpack, so I'm, I can't find things. I don't know these people. She's, these guys are coming in and staying in a room. These were not, these were definitely people who don't know God. <laughs> Action-wise, I could tell. I mean, it was like not a good place. And I remember Pastor Dave was like, you know how he can, if you've had experience with him becoming like a papa bear, he gets that way. He was like calling Jeff saying, get her out of Nairobi. You need to figure something out. So then um, Betty, who was the overseer, her nephew made the drive. And he was a great guy, Willie. We became friends. But he gave me a ride back to Creecho. And then when I, once I got to Creecho, it was like peace. It was like, oh, you know, I feel good now. 
Trust is required. Trust is required for that, but trust is required for all things in God too. That's maybe a, a huge, but you know that in life. You don't step out and do things for him unless you trust him. You know, trust is required to forgive that person that God told you to forgive. What if they hurt me again? What if they don't feel bad about it? What if they do it over again? Oh, God's telling you, forgive them. You got to trust that he, he knows what you need and he will take care of you in order to do that. Um, trust is required to... When your child does the same thing you've corrected them on for the 10th time in two days and you're tired and you don't really want to, but God has said you need to drive home this point with your child and make sure that they learn this principle, trust is required to do it again. Because you're not seeing it working. <laughs> but if God said it's going to, his way is perfect. And so I trust him and I'm going to do it for the 11th time even though I'm so tired. So trust is required in all those elements of obedience. Small, big, it's all equal. And what I have come to know regarding my father and his plan that I believe has produced the greatest trust in me and thus has propelled me to obey is this very simple statement that it is worth it. It is worth it to obey him. It is absolutely worth it. He said to me in high school, if you follow me, you will lose nothing and you will gain everything. You will lose nothing. You will gain everything. It is worth it. That You said last night that no one could ever convince you that heaven was not real. That's how I feel about that principle. No one will ever convince me that it is not worth it to follow him. It is absolutely worth it. I look back at my life and I thank God that I obeyed. Did I obey every single solitary time? No. And I regret those times. In most cases I did though, and I'm so grateful. It was worth it. It's true and it will be worth it. It always is worth it. It's always worth it. Um, let's look at Mark chapter 10. Mark 10, uh, verses 29 and 30. And this goes right in line with what he told me. If you follow me, you will lose nothing and you will gain everything. It says, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has given up and left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father, or children, or lands, for my sake and for the Gospels, who will not receive a hundred times as much now in this time. He doesn't say in the future only. He says now in this time. He doesn't make you like grin and bear it to get to heaven. No, he says now in this time. You will receive a hundred times as much now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. So basically anything you have to give up. It says with persecutions, may not be easy. And in the age to come, eternal life. So trust leads to obedience. It's worth it. Right. Number three. And because you obey God, you are blessed. Your destiny will be fulfilled. You will have success. That's what the whole world wants. That's what the whole world wants, is to be a success. That's how you get it. Obeying. Success, satisfaction, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be satisfied, God says. That's a, one of the Beatitudes. Satisfaction, 
and significance, making a difference. Obedience leads to that. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. Six, seven through ten. Do not be deceived and deluded and misled. God will not allow himself to be sneered at, scorned, disdained, or mocked by mere pretensions or professions or by his precepts being set aside. He inevitably deludes himself who attempts to delude God. We can't delude him. That's impossible. For whatever a man sows, that and that only is what he will reap. For he who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap decay and ruin and destruction. But he who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not lose heart and grow weary and faint and acting nobly and doing right, obeying him. For in due time and at the appointed season we shall reap if we do not loosen and relax our courage and faint. So then as occasion and opportunity open up to us, let us do good to all people and be mindful to be a blessing, especially to those who are of the household of faith. We'll always, your obedience will always lead to good. Eternal life, knowing him, I mean, obedience leads to a deeper relationship with him, too. And eternal life there also in just everything, every need met, every, everything you need. And then James chapter 1, verse 25. James 1, 25, it says... But he who looks carefully into the faultless law, the law of liberty, and is faithful to it and perseveres in looking into it, be not a heedless listener who forgets, but an active doer who obeys. He shall be blessed in his doing, in his life of obedience. He shall be blessed. Certain. Obedience ensures... You are in the right place, at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people. That's why obedience is so important. It's not so that God can lord over us and tell us what to do. That's not the purpose of obedience. It's because he knows where you need to be, at what time you need to be there, who you need to be there with. That used to be the motto at the high school. Is it anymore? Like when I was growing up, it was be in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people. And then I went to Bible school, which was a Damata Bible school under Mark Brzee Ministries, and that was the same motto. I thought, well, we got, we're doing something right in, in Jefferson, Iowa. Do you remember that? Yeah. yeah. That's, that is where obedience takes you. In the right place. Just think, let's like, I just want to say it and think about it. How glorious that is to be in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people. That's where obedience takes you. So people think they have a trust problem. If I could just learn to trust God. You know, I had a bad father and I just can't trust, I just can't trust male figures. It's just so hard to trust. I mean, in this world, you just can't trust anybody. That's why I can't trust God. People think they have a trust problem. No, they have a knowing problem. If, if there's an element in your life where you don't trust him, don't be discouraged. Get to know him there. What does he say about that? What does he believe? What does he stand for? People think they have an obedience problem. I could just obey in this area. I just work so hard. You know, I think about it, I read the right scriptures, and I do all the right things, and I just keep messing up, though. I just, no, you have a knowing problem. 
Don't get stressed out trying to figure out why you're not obeying. You don't know him well enough in that area. Get to know him. That's your problem. Because that will come, 100%. People think they have a blessing problem. Things just never seem to go my way. I always get the short end of the stick. I try so hard all the time. I do good. I'm a good person. No, they have a knowing problem. They don't know God as their provider. Know God and you will trust him. Trust God and you will obey him. Obey God and you will be blessed. It's 100% certain. It's like gravity. If you fall off the building, you will land on the ground. That is your cause and your effect. This, is that, 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 this cause and effect is just as certain. If you know him, you will trust him. If you trust him, you will obey him. If you obey him, you will be blessed every time. It's 20 minutes. I'm almost done, Judy. She said to be done at 20 till if I needed to be. <laughs> I'm not quite done yet, though. You have to obey me. <laughs> so, so how, I just want to finish by just talking about, so how do we get to know him? What are those steps? How do we get to know him better, maybe? Maybe we do, I mean, all of us know him as our Savior if we're, if we're born again. We do know him at that level. So how do we get to know him better? What do we do then, you know? That's an, a great idea, but what's the actionable way we do that? So I just want to finish by talking about that tonight. One way is to find out what he is called. Did you know he has like a thousand names in here? All through the Old and New Testament. Find out what he's called. What does he call himself? I mean, like one of his names is wonderful. And Isaiah, he is called wonderful all the the names in the old testament the all the jehovah names pastor dave has taught on those over the years study those that's not, i mean that is who god is he's your victory one of those is he's your victory your your banner i can trust him that i am will be victorious because i know him as that so find out what he's called. Study those names. That they describe him. Talk with him. Which is what prayer is. How do you really get to know people? You have conversations. Which means that you talk and you listen. Both. So with God, having those conversations. Talking to him. And then stopping, listening, listening to him. Reading his word. It's so important. Jesus and the word are synonymous, remember? So this is God. So if we know this, we know him. We know him. Listen to others who know him. So Tina wants to know God. That's why she's here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday with Gary tomorrow. I think it's set. If anybody else wants to come. <laughs> she, that's another way. Listen to others who know him. Get CDs. Watch TV programs. Make sure they're good ones. There's some crazy ones out there. If it doesn't match this, you know it's not God because this is him. But listen. Listen to others who know him. And then spend time in his presence. And the best way I know how to get in that place where you just know you're in it. I mean, we're always in his presence. He lives in us. But that tangible presence that you can feel, you can physically feel through worship. I mean, that's the, the easiest way to enter into that. Today in my house, we had the messenger, or, or the message, I mean, 
that serious on our TV, that serious station, and we were doing things around the house, and all of a sudden, what a beautiful name it is came on, and I'm like, Charlotte, Gideon, we just sang that song in our house, and I just, I was like motivated to speak the name of Jesus to like every area of my life, because it was, it's all in that name, but spending that time in his presence. So finding out what he's called, talking with him, reading his word, listening to others who know him and spending time in his presence. That's how you get to know him. And it's gradual and it's over time. So the glory of that is, is that the way you know him now is not the way, if you continue to pursue him, is not the way you're going to know him in five years. So the way you trust him now is not the way you're going to trust him in five years. It's going to be deeper. The way you obey him now is not going to be the way you obey him in five years. And the way you are blessed now is going to be greater. That's why he says that we go from glory to glory to glory to glory. Because we should be growing in our knowledge of him more and more and more and more. And that's, it just makes that cause or effects come from that cause. is deeper and deeper and deeper. I'm going to read this one more time. The depth of your obedience, the degree of your success, the fullness of the blessing in your life, it all depends on how well you know him. You think of Paul. He's, you know, he wrote most of the New Testament, so we, you know, he had a relationship with God. And he said, Oh, that I may know him. He knew that was the most important thing. It wasn't, you know, doing a miracle or, or even getting those people saved. Those go with that. I'm not like discounting any of those, but he knew that, that, would, that all of that comes from having that relationship with him, that all came from knowing him. Let's read that to finish today. Philippians chapter 3. Let's just read for a little while since we have some 10 minutes still here today. And then we'll finish with this. Let's start in verse 3. It says, For we Christians are the true circumcision who worship God in spirit and by the Spirit of God and exult in glory and pride ourselves in Jesus Christ and put no confidence or dependence on what we are in the flesh and on outward privileges or physical advantages or external appearances. And then he says, though for myself I have at least grounds to rely on the flesh, Paul says, if any other man considers that he has or seems to have reason to rely on the flesh and his physical and outward advantages, I have still more. Circumcised when I was eight days old of the race of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew and the son of Hebrews, as to the observance of the law, I was of the party of the Pharisees. As to my zeal, I was the persecutor of the church. And by the laws, the laws, standard of righteousness, I was proven to be blameless and no fault was found with me. But whatever former things I had that might have been gains to me, I have come to consider as one combined loss for Christ's sake. Yes, furthermore, I count everything as loss, compared to the possession of the priceless privilege. Remember what we talked about in the beginning? How amazing it is that we get to know him. The priceless privilege, the overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, of perceiving and recognizing and understanding him more fully and clearly. For his sake, I have lost everything and consider it all to be mere rubbish in order that I may win Christ. And, verse 9, that I may actually be found and known as in him, not having any self-achieved righteousness, but can be called, 
that can be called my own based on my obedience, but possessing that genuine righteousness which comes through faith in Christ. The truly right standing with God which comes from God by saving faith. For my determined purpose is this. And thank you, Pastor Becky, for teaching me the scripture 1,000 times when I was in high school. I, I heard it 1,000 times a year, probably. For my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly and that I may in that same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, which it exerts over believers, and that I may so share his sufferings as to be continually transformed. And when he talks about his sufferings there, it's talking about his obedience, as to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness, even to his death, in the hope that if possible, I may attain to the spiritual and moral resurrection that lifts me out from among the dead, even while in the body. Not that I have now attained this ideal or have already been made perfect, but I press on to lay hold of and make my own that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me and made me his own. I do not consider, brethren, that I have captured and made it my own yet. Yet reached the pinnacle of knowing God. But one thing I do, it is my one aspiration Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize to which God in Christ Jesus is calling us upward. So let those of us who are spiritually mature and full grown have this same mind and hold these same convictions. And if any, if any respect you, and if in any respect, you have a different attitude of mind, God will make that clear to you also. He'll change your mind. So anyway, it's all about knowing him. Everything else comes after that. I mean, it all works out from there. So know him, you will trust him, you will obey him, you will walk in the blessing and the fullness, or the fullness of all that he has planned for you. So thank you.